0: In my house, we love books. We go to the library all the time and we come home with loads and loads of books. There are seven of us in the house, and so I think that we have enough books that each person could read a book, a different book, every day, all month, and no one would repeat the same book or read the same book as anybody else. And those are just the ones that we got from the library yesterday. But because of that, we have lots of readers in the house, and so this happens a lot, where whether it's time to get ready for bed, or time to get ready to eat, or something, we will say, it's time to get ready for bed, and we will hear, oh, I just have two pages left in my book. Can I finish that? No. No, you can't. Now, if, if they're halfway through the book, then call, we call them, it's time to eat, it's time to get ready for bed, no problem. But when there are two pages left, then it's always, this, oh, but I'm so close to getting to the end of this book. And it's that so close to the end thing that recurs over and over again, right? Some, some of you may not have had that happen with books, but you've been binge watching a show and you're like, oh, well, it's like 1130, but I only have one episode left to finish this season. I'll sleep next year. Right? There's just there's this desire to, to make it all the way to the end. So whether it's, it's the, the book or whether it's a project that you're working on, how many times have I been working on a project and I'm like, if I just work a little bit longer, I can get this thing done. Or whether you're at work and you're doing something at work and you're like, if I just push through just a little bit longer, I can get to the end of the week. There's this, there's this anticipation as you're coming right toward the end that we can finish and we need to push through and, and just get this thing done. And this is that same, that same feeling that Peter brings as we're looking in 1 Peter chapter 4 this morning. So if you'd turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4, starting in verse 7. These are the words that he begins with right in the middle of chapter 4. The end of all things is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. Now, he's just been talking about the judgment. He's just been talking about how there has been plenty of time for you to do the same things that the Gentiles do. Do the partying thing. all the, the living in sin stuff. There's been plenty of time for that. And the judgment is coming. And now, the end of all things is at hand. We're running out of time, folks. We are running out of time. You know how when you're playing a sport... Or And let's say you're running a race and you can see the finish line and there's that person right there running next to you. You are running out of time to get past them. Or when you're playing a game, like you're playing basketball or football or something, all through the game there's plenty of time, there's plenty of time, but we hit the fourth quarter and we are now running out of time. We need to get this done. Now is the time. And that's what he's saying. There's been plenty of time for sin. All of that time has passed. We are running out of time. If you're looking at the history of the world and the things that God has done throughout history, you're looking through the whole narrative of the Bible from creation to the calling of Abraham and the covenants with the the fathers and the calling of the nation of Israel and the making of them His people and then them leaving and, and Him calling them back and then the Savior comes, Jesus comes. To redeem the people. And Peter is saying, this is it. This is it. This is the new covenant that God had been promising all those years ago. This is the final chapter in the history of the world. The Savior has now come. And He has promised a way that you can be reconciled with God. And not everybody knows that. But you know it. Because it's been communicated to you. The Gospel has been preached to you that Jesus has come to forgive you of your sins so that you might be reconciled with Him. And here's the thing, the judgment is coming. Jesus is coming again. And this time, it's not going to be the same. Last time He came, He came to save His people and to reconcile them with Himself. The next time, it's going to be like the flood. Judgment. He's going to do away permanently with death and sin and everything else. The time is short. We are in the final chapter right now. Some of you are going, I know, and I've been waiting in this final chapter for a long time. Come, Lord, quickly. When is it going to come? You're, you're, you're like one of my kids laying on the couch going, I'm on, I've got two pages left. There's only two pages left. Yeah, we're right there. Now I, I'm not saying like you're looking at world events and trying to map the end times. I'm saying we are in the final period right now. We're not trying to calculate it. Is it tomorrow? Is it next month? Is it next year? Is it 2020? Two 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 twenty. Could be. Could be tomorrow could be at 10:35 the time is short and peter wants us to know that the end of all things is at hand therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers be sober-minded and self-controlled for the sake of your prayers the time is running short. You, you can't mess around anymore. We're, we're done with that. We're running out of time for that. For the sake of your prayers, be sober minded and self controlled. And I was thinking about this and I was looking at this going, what, what does this mean? For the sake of my prayers? For the sake of my prayers, be sober minded and, and self controlled? Is this similar to uh, back in chapter 3 where he was saying, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way so that your prayers may not be hindered. Is it that kind of thing? And as I began to think about it some more and really meditated on, meditate on it this week, I was thinking, you know, I have been dissatisfied with my own prayer life recently. Is it okay for me to admit that up front here like this? I've been dissatisfied with my own prayer life recently. It has felt trite to me. What, what is it that I'm doing here? Thanking God, being mindful of, of times for Him providing rest and for food, praying for other people, sure. But, the, but there have just been times when I've been feeling like the prayers like around the dinner table or something, it just feels trite. Especially when it starts this way. Everybody be quiet so that we can Pray! God, help us to be gracious with one another. Thank you for this food. Amen. Okay, now you can eat. (laughs) Neither self-controlled nor sober-minded. And I realized my prayers might be trite because my perspective is completely wrong. I'm not considering enough the imminency of the return of Christ. I am not considering enough the urgency that this time demands. Jesus is coming again, and he's coming for judgment. There's no time for pathetic prayers. So why are my prayers too pathetic? Because I'm not here. And so Peter, in the middle of his book, is saying the end of all things is near. He's trying to instill in us this urgency. For the sake of your prayers, be sober-minded and self-controlled. Let me help you with a mind shift. The end of all things is coming, and so you should pray accordingly. Sometimes I feel like I've been praying for the same people, for the same things over and over again, and I start to get tired and weary of praying for it. You're running out of time. This may be the last time that you get to pray for that. So pray again with all fervency and all urgency. The people that you meant to pray for, thought you might pray for at some point, write them down. Make it a discipline that you will be praying for them. That they might know, that they might believe that somehow God would soften their heart, the Holy Spirit would be at work of them, convicting them of the sin in their lives, that they might repent and return to Him. Because we're running out of time. And they're running out of time. That when we're suffering and we're dealing with all the stuff that we're dealing with and people ask us, how come you still have hope right now? It's because the Lord is coming and He's coming again soon. Soon might be tomorrow or soon might be in the year 3000. I'm not sure, but He's coming soon. The time is short. Even if He doesn't come in my lifetime, my lifetime is not as long as I think it is. He's coming soon. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. And above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Keep loving one another earnestly. We've heard this language from from Peter before that we would love one another fervently from a pure heart the end of chapter 2. Because in Peter's mind, that that this disparate group of people who have all been brought together under the Gospel, people who are very unlike one another, but now all believers together find themselves in the same room going, you're weird. And they're looking at me going, yeah, you're weird too. And so we've got this whole bunch of people that all think each other is weird, but we have this one thing uniting us, and that is that we believe in Jesus. And so we should love one another, and we should love one another fervently. Because it says, since love covers a multitude of sins, for the sake of the unity of the gospel, for the sake of the unity of believers, we bear with one another and encourage one another. We support one another. And that love covers over a multitude of sins. When you're united together as a, as a congregation, as a group of believers. It's amazing to me to watch this in action. I'll see this happen in life groups particularly, but it happens in the church all the time too. That there's some sort of sin that, that, uh, would cause division normally. Kind of offense that in other places might break friendships, but there's no room for that in the church. And so people, while being offended, come alongside and say, Okay, I want you to know I was really offended by that. And there's patience and there's forgiveness and there's reconciliation for the sake of the unity of the church. Because love covers a multitude of sins. It's not that the sin goes away. It's not that there aren't any consequences for it. But there is space for sinners to be together in relationship with one another because they love one another and they love one another earnestly. Fervently. It's work and effort to love each other in that kind of way. But the fruit is so rich... Because otherwise the petty things that might get between people and cause a breakup of relationship so that people would never talk to one another again. Instead, in the church, there's forgiveness and there's love extended and we see that there's no break. Bumps? Yep. Frustrations? Sure. But we love each other. In Galatians chapter 6, it puts it this way, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bearing one another's burdens, other people's sins we are bearing with them, putting up with them, helping them, encouraging them, pushing them. Because we love them. And because it helps deal with all the sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. There are many people who believe that they don't need Christian fellowship. They don't need to be in the church because for them, faith is a private thing. Oh I believe, but I believe by myself and I don't need to be a part of a church. They they think that it is easier to not be a part of a Christian fellowship They wouldn't put it quite that way. They would say something more along the lines of I just don't like the way that people are in the church. I don't like the hypocrisy in the church or I don't like organized religion or the rules or those kinds of things. But what they're saying really is I don't want to put up with other Christians in my area of faith. I want that to be pure and untroubled. So I'm just going to do that by myself and not with other people. But what we have is that we need to be loving one another uh, earnestly and showing hospitality to one another. Inviting people in. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Yep, they didn't bring enough food to the shared meal again. They didn't bring anything again. They didn't come and help set up. They didn't help wipe any tables or take anything down. They just came and ate and left as though we were all serving them. You can insert shared meal next week. You can insert life group. You can insert any kind of hospitality that you want. The grumbling can be right there just under the surface. But we are to show hospitality without grumbling. Whose stuff is this? Whose food is it? Who provided that, really? The Lord provided that. Who provided the time? God provided that. Who provided the energy and the strength for today? God provided that too. What if God has provided you with those things so that you might show love to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ? Sometimes when I'm trying to do it in my own strength, I get tired and I get grumpy. And so I grumble, normally not out loud, (laughs) just just to me. Or maybe just not out loud, but just between me and my wife. But there needs to be a heart check. What else am I going to do with my time? What would I rather do with my time and with my resources and my energy than pour it into the fellowship of God's people? That I might express love to you. You who I rejoice with in all that God has done for us. You who I share life with and I encourage and you encourage me and we bear one another's burdens, I put up with you and you, I know, have put up with me. And so thankfully and gratefully, we work together to show hospitality to one another. We do that in in life groups. Some of you open up your homes on a a regular basis or a semi-regular basis. Some of you do that not in a formal way with a life group, but just inviting people out to lunch after church on Sunday. We'll do that next week, being hospitable to one another when we have a shared meal together. Because it is a way of expressing God's love to one another. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Without grumbling. Uh, Look at, again, if we back up I just want to notice some of the things that we have seen. Be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. And show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As I start looking through these things, some of you may be thinking about life groups and the five practices of a life group. And we've just ticked off three of them. Prayer, fellowship, and food. This is not by accident that these are the practices of what it means to be part of a life group. That these are the things that we do. This is part of life. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. A follower of Him. That we would um, live together. That we would be spending time in prayer. That we would eat food together and and show hospitality to one another. That we would love one another. Spend fellowship with one another? In fact, he he talks about in, in the next couple of verses that each of us has a gift, something that God has given to us that we might offer to others. Verse 10, As each of us has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Each of us has received a gift Use it to serve one another as God's steward, uh, as good stewards of God's varied grace. That is that God has given each of us things that we can do, things that we can use, and we ought to use those things well whether they're the resources that he's provided for us or the abilities that he's given to us or the love and generosity that he's given to us, we ought to use those things well for his glory that we might encourage the other people uh, in our fellowship of believers. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. I want you to notice that God is the source of those gifts. They come from Him. Sometimes I think it comes from me. Sometimes I think it's just sort of who I am. This is what I'm good at. This is my ability. In reality, that's who God made me to be. That's who He made me to be. It's from Him. When I recognize that it's a gift from Him, then it does two things. One, it doesn't allow me to be arrogant or prideful in the use of my gift because I recognize it came from Him. And two, I recognize that it isn't for me. It's not for me. I don't use my gifts for me. God has given them to us so that we might give them to someone else. That we might extend the blessing of His love to others. We can be the tangible hands and feet and words of God to other people. We are expressing His love. He has enabled us to participate in this. He has blessed us so that we might be a blessing to others. He didn't have to do that. He could have just blessed them directly. But instead, he allows us to be a part of the process so that he blesses you so that you might be a blessing to others. What a joy to be in that. But it's not for you and it's not for the, the rewards for you, right? It's not so that you can use your gift and everybody can say, oh, wow, what a great gift that is. I know. I must be God's favorite because He just gives me all the good gifts. We're not using our gifts for us. I was reading this week about this and and I want to read you this. Spiritual gifts are not fundamentally a privilege but are a responsibility, a call to be faithful to what God has bestowed. I read that and went, oh, that's so good. It's not a privilege or a right, but it's a responsibility that God has given to you. That you are the steward of this responsibility. You are the steward of this gift, using it for the blessing of other people and ultimately for His glory. So that in verse eleven it says, "Whoever speaks speaks as one. Um, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God." So there are are gifts of word. There's uh, teaching and prophecy and words of encouragement. In other places, Paul has listed out all kinds of of gifts. And and here Peter just goes, I just want to give you a, a couple of categories. Those who are talking and those who are doing. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. Where's it coming from? It's coming from God. Well, what if I'm talking and I thought of these words and I'm giving them to you? Those came from God. Those came from God. which means that we should be very careful about the words that we speak and speak as though we are speaking the oracles of God. They should be informed by God's Word. We should be in His Word and speaking His words to one another. How much more confident do I feel when I'm just repeating God's words back to somebody else compared to giving them my best opinion about something? They say, I really have this question about this. Well, you know... In God's Word, it says, here's what we should do. These are the fruit of the Spirit. I go back to the fruits of the Spirit a lot. I go back to Galatians 6 in the bearing with one another's burdens a lot. I go to the hope that we have in Christ a lot. I go to places in Romans quite a bit for the foundations of the gospel and how we are to interact with suffering and and trials of of, um, challenges that are around us. We've got to go back to God's word because when we're speaking to other people, we are speaking on God's behalf to them. So be sober-minded and self-controlled about those things. Because you're speaking on behalf of God. Some of you are going, oh, no, that's not my gift. Speaking isn't my gift, so I'm not speaking on, on behalf of God. No, you still are. You're in life group. Together, you're studying together, you're talking with one another, somebody's dealing with something, you should have the mindset that you are speaking on behalf of God, whether or not you feel like you have the gift of talking. This is a gift that God has given you. If you're in relationship with somebody and you have the opportunity to speak to them, words of encouragement or words of challenge, you are speaking on behalf of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. The things that we're doing for other people. And I I see this, I feel like I'm just telling you things that you're already doing. Which I hope is very encouraging and reaffirming to you. Because I see this all the time in the way that people care for one another in this church. Church. I see it a lot in the life groups where some need comes up and I hear about it after the fact. I love hearing about it after the fact. Did you know that there was a need? No, we should do something about that. Oh, our life group already did. Wonderful! Praise God for life groups. I love hearing about it after the fact when it wasn't anything to do with our life group. Hey, did you hear about so-and-so? No, I didn't hear about that yet. Well, that's okay because Rick already talked with them. Yes, I love serving on a team of elders. I love serving on a team with you. I love that though I'm the pastor and I hear lots and lots of the things that happen in this church, I know that there are so many things I don't know. So many things that are happening that I find out about a year later. Or relationships and connections within the congregation that I was I didn't realize that you guys were that close of friends. Oh yeah, they came over and helped me when I was dealing with. Really? How did I not know that? They didn't think it was important for you to know. I suppose that's fair. I'm just a pastor. I don't have to know everything. I just thought I did. But I love watching the body of Christ love each other and encourage each other that way. You've heard me say that we, a lot about life groups. I don't know if it's fair for me to say the end of time is near, and if you're not in a life group, you should get in a life group. But I will say, That my experience of these things has been most acute in a life group. I've been in lots of life groups with many of you. I'm going to confess that I don't think that there has been a life group that I was like, woohoo, we get to go to life group. My life is busy. We don't have time for life group. We don't have time for that. We don't have the energy for that. We're not ready for that. We don't feel like it most weeks. It's not that I don't love the people in the group. I love the people in the group. I like spending time with them. But let me be clear, being in life group, that's a discipline. Just like prayer, just like tithing, just like being in God's Word. Sometimes it's just wonderful and we're like, wow, we are so glad we went to life group. We are so glad we were participating with these people. And other times, at the end of the night, I look at my wife and she looks at me and we go, does this even matter? Was this worth it at all? And we find out two years later why it was so important that we met on that night or with those people during that season. The time is short. So be self-controlled and sober-minded. What else are you going to do with your time? What's more important than the things that Peter's listing out as the most important things that you can be doing in light of the fact that Jesus is coming soon to judge the world? What's so important that you go, you know, Peter, I don't think so. Because I really got this thing. There's this show on Thursday nights I'm kind of into that show right now. Well, it's really inconvenient because I just barely got off work. I always feel like I'm running in late and it doesn't feel worth it. Yep. Well, I've just got so many things going on this week with all of the different activities. Yep. Oh, there are lots and lots of reasons to not. I just want to let you know, the time is short. The end of all things is at hand. And spending time in prayer and loving one another earnestly and showing hospitality to one another and speaking words of encouragement to one another and serving one another and caring for one another, these are the things that we should be prioritizing. So as each has has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So that in everything, God may be glorified in Jesus Christ. I don't feel like it. I don't want to do it. It doesn't matter. It's not about you. It is about the glory of God through Jesus. Jesus has died on the cross for your sins. He has bought your life with His own blood that you might be reconciled to God so that you might live for Him. So whatever you do, However you spend your time, use it for the glory of God in order that everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And then Peter just pauses and says, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter just can't even help himself. He's just thinking about how the end of time is coming. The time is short. And he's going, look, the time is short. We are running out of time. We've got like a minute left in this basketball game and we're down by eight. We have got to make defensive stops and get the ball in the basket and we have to do it now. We are out of time. It must happen now. The end of time is at hand. The end of all things is at hand. We are running out of time. We have to do this right now so that everything is for the glory of God. And as he's building this urgency, as he's writing furiously to try and communicate to us the urgency of this and the priorities that are here, then he can't help but go, because praise be to God! To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Lest we get our perspective too skewed and we start feeling too guilty about all the things that we're not doing or too much pressure about all the things that we should be doing that we're not, He just wants to go, look, to Him be the glory. Great things has He done. To Him be the glory forever and ever in everything we ever do. May He be praised. Because from the beginning, He has created us. Before you were born, He prepared the good works that you would do in advance that you might walk in them so that you might praise Him with your entire being, with your words, with your actions, with your time, with your money, with your uh, other resources, with the relationships that you have, that you might glorify Him in everything. May God be glorified in everything, now and forever and evermore. What gracious thing has God given you that you're going to praise Him with this week? I just want you to think of one thing. I know I've talked about lots of things and some of you are going to I'm going to need a whole overhaul. You can't overhaul the whole thing all at once. You can be well intentioned on Sunday morning when the preacher gets all worked up and in your face. But the reality is you've got to start with one thing, what's one thing. I'll tell you what my one thing is. I don't want to have trite prayers anymore. I don't want to enter into prayer without being sober-minded and self-controlled. So this week, I'm going to work on that. I'm probably going to fail. You can ask me about it next week. I don't mind the accountability. But I want God to be glorified in everything. That's the one thing that I'm picking for this week. What are you picking that you're going to do this week so that God might be glorified in everything? Let's pray. Father, we know that you have loved us from before time began. That you have called us to be your people. We know that you have given us gifts gifts of wisdom, gifts of time, gifts of encouragement, gifts of help and support, gifts of prayer. Gifts of speaking and gifts of serving. And Father, we pray, would You help us to be sober-minded? To remember that the end of all things is at hand. May we be very aware of that this week. That we might remain sober-minded and self-controlled. And Father, we pray, that you would help us so that in everything we do, we might do it by the strength that you provide and we might do it for your glory. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.